Good morning, Central Heights. My name is Jesse. I am the youth pastor here. I have the privilege of continuing our Christmas series called Arrival. Uh, It's a series uh, that's going to talk about the coming of Jesus at the first Christmas. And the whole idea behind this is we want to look back to what God had said before this event in history to see that he is actually fulfilling promises in that moment. See, what we don't want to be as a church or as Christians in general uh, is like those people that maybe you've gone to a movie with or you invited over to watch a TV show with who, you know, they didn't see the first three seasons of the show, but now they're jumping into season four or they didn't see the first, you know, two movies in the saga, but now they're going to the theater with you for the third movie. And the whole time they're kind of watching it with you. They're going, hey, hey, who's that? Or, hey, why is this happening over here? Or, you know, I, what's going on there? Or, like, why, why is this problem unfolding? And, and you are going, like, oh, come on. Like, how, had you not seen all of this before, I wouldn't have to, you know, pay attention to you. You'd have appreciation for this scene that's unfolding. Uh, you'd look ahead and you'd see, oh, man, look at that. You should be crying right now. Look what's happening to this character. If only you understood their backstory, their origin and all this. Uh, we don't want to be like that uh, as Christians, especially with the story of Christmas because there is so much going on. That was foretold long ago. It's a theme right from the very beginning of Scripture. And, it's a, and this event is cosmic in impact. It is global in impact. And it is personal in impact. And as we, as we go through this series, what rises to the top is a very simple truth. That what God says is what God does. What God says is what God does does. If he said it, he's going to do it. And maybe this morning, that is all you needed to hear. Like, maybe I can just leave now, because maybe that was the reminder that God wanted to have for you. Maybe there's a promise you're holding on to, something he said in his word that is entering your story right now, and that you've been carrying with you, but you haven't yet seen God do anything, but you know he said it. Maybe you just need to be reminded that he's a faithful, truthful God that you can bank your life on. So much of our lives is spent in the time between what God said and what God did, isn't it? Like not only, you know, that Jesus said he's going to come back one day and all evil and sin is going to be removed. That's an event that he hasn't yet done, but we're living between when he said it and when he's going to do it. Maybe there's a promise like in Romans 8 where where you see and you read that all things are going to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But right now you're not seeing that. Even though it's Christmas, it's supposed to be a happy, joyous time. You're living between what God said and what you're hoping God will do. And this is the point of our series, Arrival, is that we want to look back and be reminded by this in very specific ways. Uh, The specific way we're going to see this morning, if you have a Bible, you can go to Micah chapter 5. It's a promise and and a bunch of complex ideas and realities all converging at Christmas around a little town, a ruler, and a shepherd. And so you can find this, this tiny book in the Old Testament. Uh, what you need to know up until this point in, in the story is that God had created a good and perfect world. Uh, mankind rebelled against him, walked away from him. God didn't want to abandon his plan, though, and promised that he would restore and fix all things. And his plan was to do that through a people, through the people of Israel. But they start to fail in their role, even though God had delivered them in mighty ways, even though he had worked with them and brought them into into the promised land. They started to walk away from him, and now judgment is coming for these people. 
He's going to use the nations of Assyria and Babylon to, to, to punish them and, and to send them into exile. But there is hope beyond that. And so we enter Micah chapter 5. That they're under siege. They're under attack. But this is what is spoken from God through the prophet Micah. Verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Would you pray with me as we dive into these promises this morning? Father, we're, we're so grateful you've spoken to us. We're so grateful for the story you've unfolded in history and that continues on until this day. And we just want to give you this time to say, speak, Lord. We're listening. Be honored in our time this morning together. May this be all for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So God's people have an expectation now. They've been told something by God, and now they, they have, they're anticipating an event happening at some point in the future. Uh, all the way into, into the Gospels, in, in Matthew chapter 2, in Luke's Gospel, even into John, you find that, that Jesus enters the scene, and his critics uh, don't fully know his backstory, and they're going, well, who is this guy? He can't really be the, the chosen one. He can't really be the Messiah, because we know that the Messiah comes from David's royal line from Bethlehem. Even in John chapter 7, they're critiquing him and they're going, hey, what's going on here? This can't be the guy. We, we know the Messiah has to come from Bethlehem. That is the expectation that is set up by the prophet Micah. So then we enter the Christmas story. So go to Luke chapter 2 with me. We're going to bounce between Luke 2 and Micah 5 this morning to see how these two things work together. And we've already read some of Luke chapter 2 this morning. It's maybe the most famous uh, version from the Bible that's told of the Christmas story. But let me read some of it to us this morning, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. A very familiar passage to, to a lot of us, if we've been in church uh, any given amount of time, if we've, if we've been to anything Christmas-related where Scripture is read. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on here that, that we can very easily miss. So right in the start here in verse 1 of chapter 2, in those days, well, which days are these? Well, these are the days we've got some names dropped. Uh, Caesar Augustus is on the scene. Some guy named Quirinius is on the scene. We've also heard uh, earlier in Luke's gospel that Herod the Great is the king in Israel. So we're looking at roughly 4 BC at this time. The interesting thing about this, though, is that this event was foretold by Micah 
And when was he on the scene? In the early chapters of Micah, we we learn about kind of when he was prophesying. And this is roughly 700 years before 4 BC. In the days of the first Christmas. Somewhere in the mid 700s to late 600s BC, Micah records that Bethlehem is going to be a place that a ruler, a shepherd comes from. That this great hope from God is going to arrive. 700 years. That right there, we should stop and go, what? Wow. Like if you're, if you're the guys in Micah's time, you know, five years passes and you're going, been watching Bethlehem. You guys see anything over there? Not yet. It's a little town. Maybe we should write a song about it. I haven't heard much about it yet. Okay, let's give it some more time. Give it a couple more days, a couple more weeks, a couple more months. 50 years rolls by and you're going, a Micah guy, just like all those other weird prophets. It's weird. What are they on? Like there's something strange going on with them. This can't be true. God didn't really use him. 700 years rolls by. And in those days, Joseph, Mary, head to Bethlehem and she gives birth to a child. Like 700 years. Like think from today, 2018, 700 years ago. Like, does anybody off the top of your head know anything that happened in the 1300s? Like, maybe the beginning of the Renaissance in Italy? Social studies students, no? Uh, Black death in Europe? Millions dead? That was the headline? Okay, let me try another one. Uh, William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, Braveheart, freedom! Anybody with me now? You can kind of get in the, the era in mind. Could you picture a promise delivered in that time period that comes right now in 2018 and is fulfilled in a very specific way, specific town, specific type of person? That's the gap here. And what the arrival of Jesus at Christmas shows us is that sometimes there is a gap between man's timeline and God's promises. And honestly, that can be really frustrating. Like, think of some of the promises you might be holding on to. I remember there was one time where uh, I knew God was going to, he'd said, you know, I'll provide for your needs. And I had the specific need uh, of a vehicle at one point in my late teens. And so I had done some research, found uh, a whole bunch of doors were opening for me with my budget, with specific connections uh, through relationship that I had. Uh, And this car was uh, was there and it was ready. And this guy that I had known, uh, I get to go see it. And everything was lining up. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to make sure all my stuff is in order. I'm just going to wait for the call back. I'm sure this is the one. I'd been praying about it even as a bonus wow, that was cool. And um, I got a call and it was like I didn't even exist in the equation. Yep, car's gone. Just thought I'd let you know. I'm like, but gone to, gone to who? Like, I'm, I'm the guy. I, that car is mine. What's going on? And I'm like, man, Lord, like I've been praying for like three days for this thing. You said you were going to provide. Where are you? You've abandoned me. I, honestly, I was, it sounds silly. I was actually really frustrated. I'm like, come on, God. Like, won't anything, like, won't you come through for me here? Maybe you can relate. Maybe there's something that's been in your life for, you know, three days, three months, a year, 30 years, maybe. And you're like, something is still not the way it should be. And you've even prayed about it before. There's promises. What's going on? Has God abandoned you? Well, no. Christmas reminds us that God's timing is strategic. It's purposeful. It's good. And it's best. 
And although we should still have the faith to press in and know that he's got the power and the goodness and the love for us to break through at any single moment, that every problem, every situation is small enough to be one prayer away from being changed, sometimes that is not the case. And 700 years goes by before this major event happens in the little town of Bethlehem. This is cool. Okay, so Micah got it right. There's a location. Maybe the time was a little off. But although the timing of, the, of what was said was a bit different than expected, the type of person was exactly what was promised. And more important than the where or the when of Christmas is the who of Christmas. So let's read a little bit more from Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, who then gives birth to a child. So who, who are these people? Maybe you, you kind of, you're familiar with them a bit. Luke chapter 1 gives us a bit of context. Joseph is engaged uh, to this girl, uh, this, this virgin who is told, hey, you know, you're going to be pregnant. It's not going to be the normal way of pregnancy, though. Uh, there's no man going to be involved. God's going to come, and there's going to be a Holy Spirit power involved around this child's life. And in Luke chapter 1, we're told, here's what, here's what your son is going to be. Luke 1, uh, 32, he will be great and called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Multiple promises, multiple prophecies are all converging with the arrival of Jesus. See, Micah has hinted at a ruler is coming, and there's a specific place he mentions, but this also combines with other promises of God, like the promise from 2 Samuel 7, where God shows up to the great king David and says, hey, you know what, from your line, I'm going to raise up a ruler. From your line, I'm going to establish a kingdom that has no end. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of God's promise. And not just one promise, many promises all at once. Make no mistake about it, a ruler has arrived in Bethlehem. Amazing. But it's kind of awkward because with, with any time you've got a ruler on the scene, you kind of should consider, okay, well, are there other rulers around that might, you know, take exception to this? Like, have you ever had a situation in your life where two things vied for the same role? Like, you know, maybe at your job there was a promotion, but only one person could get it. Or maybe on your, your sports team there can only be one captain, but there's several people that want that role. Uh, I remember a couple Christmases ago, I went to my grandparents' place. It was Christmas Eve. Uh, after Christmas Eve service, we were going to open some gifts early with them because we weren't going to see them on Christmas Day. And for whatever reason, we were doing this method where one person at a time was opening all the gifts that everybody had brought for that one person. So you, you kind of get to watch and see it unfold, and it takes a lot of time, which is great because you're with your family and you're seeing their joy and all that. And my grandpa's opening up uh, a gift. And uh, my brother and I are watching him open it up, and we're kind of sitting across the room from one another, and we, we kind of get surprised because as he's opening up a gift, uh, we realize uh, he's opening up our gift. The problem was we hadn't given it to him yet. My cousin had just given him a gift, and now my grandpa's opening that gift, and it's the same gift that we had got for my grandpa. To add to the awkwardness, uh, I'm next in line to give him my present from my brother and I, 
And it's, here's the same thing. You just open. Don't even bother. Just take it to the store and return it. Like, what am I going to do, right? Uh, but fortunately, similar to the Grinch, uh, teenage Jesse was so smart, so slick, he thought up a trick, and he thought it up quick. So what happened was, uh, Jesse and my brother... Uh, we've got two gifts that we had combined together. What Jesse then does is he takes the one gift that's identical to the one my grandpa is currently holding and getting excited about. Jesse puts it then in his gift bag of gifts that he's already opened, bonus gift, and now uh, we give him one gift from the two of us that used to be two gifts, but now it's one gift, and a Christmas hero has emerged. Not the one we deserve, but definitely the one we needed in that moment, and it was amazing. Christmas was saved my grandpa gets a good gift. I get a bonus gift all as well. But look, that's awkward. It creates tension. We got two things saying they're there to do the same purpose. You know that's going to create conflict. And in these days, if Jesus is going to fill the promise of a ruler coming, who's going to take exception to that? What's the threat going to be here? So we know uh, from Luke chapter 1, we could read, okay, well, Herod the Great... Uh, in comparison to a lot of other Herods and other rulers of the time, uh, he had done a lot of great things. He was very uh, politically intelligent, had, had a, uh, an amazing uh, rule. There was a lot of mixed feelings about him. He did some great things for the temple, but he was brutal. He was inhumane. Uh, he is there at the time, and, and there's, that's kind of awkward because he's the local ruler here. Uh, Bethlehem is not too far from Jerusalem where he is. Bethlehem is also not too far from this, this great site called the Herodium that he had built, this kind of palace outside of Jerusalem. Uh, so he's being born right under the shadow here of Herod. Uh, Herod finds out, doesn't like that. Uh, obviously, the great tragedy of Christmas, if you know the story, is that he goes and, and finds out that there's a, a ruler being born in Bethlehem, so he's going to try to stop that from happening. He kills a bunch of kids. Terrible. This guy's crazy. He, 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 he even killed some of his own kids in protecting his rule throughout his lifetime. Uh, it's even said that when, uh, when he died, uh, the day he died, he had set it up so that, uh, you know, a hundred people would be killed with him just so that the country would be even more sad. Like, this guy's is, guy is a nightmare, right? So how ironic, then, that a ruler born in this humanly insignificant place is called the Prince of Peace during this particular time. How interesting. What a contrast. But the greater contrast is actually uh, about the person we already read from Luke chapter 2. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So Israel, Bethlehem is now in, in this wider empire of Rome. And Caesar Augustus is the ruler of that empire. So who's, uh, who's, Caesar, who's Caesar Augustus? Well, there's a lot we could talk about him this morning. One of the things we need to know, though, is that he was referred to and received the title of Son of God because he made uh, Julius Caesar to be a god. Therefore, now he is the Son of God. Interesting, right? That now God himself, the God himself, hears about a decree, knows about a decree, sees a decree going forth that the whole world should be registered and he goes, this is the time the Son of God is going to arrive. Son of God is going to issue a thing so that Joseph and Mary are going to go to Bethlehem specifically so that the Son of God can arrive on the scene. And I'm going to keep my promise. More than that, though, let's look at some other stuff that we're told about Jesus' arrival that contrasts with Caesar. So in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's easy to miss uh, the language that's being used here because it's very specifically contrasting Caesar Augustus. I mean, I'm wondering if some of these shepherds even had the coins uh, of the day in their pockets, the coins with Caesar's likeness on them that on the back said, son of the divine, Divi Filius, like he is son of God. Just so you all know, I'm going to put on my coins. I'm going to make sure I'm worshipped. I'm going to make sure you know all of this stuff about me. But more than that, when the angel arrives and announces Jesus' arrival, he uses terms like, I bring you good news. Good news is often attached to the the language of when an emperor did something uh, renowned that should be celebrated. So Caesar Augustus, it's even said that poets wrote about his birthday as being the start of the good news. But now we've got another birthday happening. And an angel saying, I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel. Interesting. More than that, of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a lot of uh, discoveries that have been made uh, throughout the time about Augustus. Uh, there was a lot of labels he attached to himself, high priest, son of God. Also one that he really liked was Savior. Savior of the common folk, Savior of the world. There's inscriptions in places like Turkey, uh, like at Prien and Halicarnassus, that describe all this, and they attach all these labels. Uh, J.R. Edwards talks about this in his commentary of Luke, saying these inscriptions identify Augustus as God, Son of God, Savior. And they associate with him all the very similar language that is used here. What a contrast, then. What a divine alternative to the ideology of of the empire, of the worship of the empire. What a time for God to choose to bring the Savior of the world. But God leverages this time, leverages this decree. Later he'll leverage stuff like the Roman road to transport the gospel all over the world. The real gospel, not of Caesar, but of Jesus. A big catchphrase of the time, a big uh, reality of the time was something called Pax Romana, the Roman peace that that was associated with Caesar Augustus' rule. And it was impressive. He he, he provided the empire with what was the golden age of Rome. This this peace of Rome, you know, lasted for a good 200 years. Very, very impressive. But it's interesting that during the reign of Son of God, who's got the Roman peace, the Son of God is coming to be the peace of the world. Not just of Rome but of the entire world. It's incredible. Jesus is heaven's alternative to earth's authority. Because God knows, you know, Jesus isn't arriving to overthrow some political system. He's he's arriving to overthrow a spiritual system, one that is leaving people spiritually dead, disconnected from God, that he knows that no amount of peace, no, no ruler, no leader, whether it be Caesar, Herod, or whoever, the best the world has to offer is not going to be enough for what the world truly needs. And what we need most is Jesus. See, I sometimes wonder, where are, we, where are we looking for our peace? Where are we looking for our good news and great joy? Who's running our lives? Are we, are we going with the best that the world has to offer? 
Or are we going with something better, something more? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was driving uh, to the church here, and I was listening to the radio, and it was right around the time that um, famous and well-loved actor and comedian Robin Williams had uh, passed away. He had, he had taken his own life. And uh, the DJs, the, the radio personalities, they, they, were, they were reflecting on this in a very serious and different tone than I'd ever heard them. And, and there, was, there was a pause in the conversation as I was pulling into the parking lot here, and one of them just said, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. He had everything I could ever want. He had fame, he was well-loved, he had money. Why, why would he need to escape? Just last night I was looking at um, one of my social media feeds and somebody I'd known from high school had posted something reflecting on, on her life the last year and said, I keep looking for peace, but maybe there is none. And I thought, that's the cry of our hearts, isn't it? We want peace, we want good news, we want great joy. And maybe you're sitting here going, I wish I could have some good news. I wish I could have some peace. I've tried the best of what the world has to offer. I've tried running my life in a a bunch of different ways. Nothing seems to stick. Maybe you need to look to the peace of the world in the person of Jesus by letting him run and rule your life, by putting your trust in him. The peace of the world comes during the Roman peace. And it's a very interesting time. One final contrast that's interesting to note. All these other rulers, you know, they they claimed their victories, especially Herod, just brutal, cunning politically, you know, squashing out rebellions, squashing out threats to to his rule. You got Augustus conquering through military might. But the real, the true king of the world, he's not... Herod in a palace, he's not the emperor in Rome, he's a baby lying in a manger. And he is going to conquer, not through violence or or overthrowing in sort of some overpowering way. No, he is going to conquer by giving his life. His victory is going to be through sacrifice. If you look back again to Micah 5, uh, Micah even indicates this in verse 4. It says, He shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall dwell secure, uh, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. By the way, I love that a shepherd, that it's arriving, is announced to shepherds. Isn't that kind of interesting? I also love that you know, his reign is going to be to the ends of the earth, beyond even what the Roman Empire had. But then in verse 5, of Micah 5, he shall be their peace. This shepherd from the little town of Bethlehem, this ruler, is going to be peace. But how is he going to be peace? Well, we know from Jesus' life, even in John 10, as he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Our king, our ruler from the little town of Bethlehem, our shepherd, he comes to do the work of a sheep by dying, laying down his life willingly. In John 10, it says, nobody takes it from me. I'm going to use my power and I'm going to lay it down of my own accord. His rule is not going to come about like the rules we've seen before. It's going to come about through him giving his life for you and for me to bring about a way bigger peace than anything in the world has seen possible. That's, that's incredible to me. That's incredible to me. You know, it's even, 
It's interesting, you know, we've, we've talked about Bethlehem, we've talked about a lot of, of interesting things. I mean, not to mention Bethlehem means house of bread, and Jesus will later say in John 6, you know, I am the bread of life, I'm the, I'm the source for your provision, you know, it's drawing on imagery from when God had brought his people out of Egypt and had fed them with bread. Not to mention that Ephratha means fruitful, in contrast to the non-fruitful rulers, non-fruitful shepherds of Israel born maybe in Jerusalem, in a place of power. Not to mention... But some scholars also say that in Bethlehem, these shepherds, these sheep that were raised there, some scholars believe that these sheep were the sheep that were taken to Jerusalem for the religious sacrifices. And these sacrifices, obviously, if they're going to atone for the sins of the world, they needed to be perfect. They needed to be spotless. Much like Jesus comes and lives a perfect life that we could not, to die a death we deserve. These sheep, it's said that shepherds would wrap these sheep in swaddling cloths. And to preserve them, protect them, would lay them in a manger. And if that's true, what another amazing layer to the story God is writing for the redemption of the world. What does this mean for us? I think Paul says it so well in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read some of that to us as if it was written... You know, it wasn't written to us, but it's definitely written for us. So let me read us a bit from Ephesians chapter 2 about what the arrival of Jesus means for us. Starting in verse 12. Remember you, Central Heights, at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us Central Heights, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to those who are near. For through him, we, Central Heights, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, prophets like Micah, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The arrival of Jesus at his birthplace means the availability of peace at ours. Doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter what family you're from, doesn't matter how much you've set up in life for yourself, how much you've made of yourself. The arrival of Jesus where he was means peace is possible for you here. And I don't know what situation is in your life, but look, this story, this prophecy, God keeping his promises at this particular time, 700 years later, with Herod the Great, with Caesar Augustus in the Roman Empire, with the Roman peace. There's no time, no place, no situation unfavorable for God to keep his promises to you. So which ones are you holding on to? 
What are you praying into this Christmas season? You're going, well, I mean, it's this time of year. I don't see God moving in this particular thing that I hope he'd move in right now. I'm going to wait till later. Or maybe I'm in this particular place right now, and, and I don't see anything changing based on who is there and what is there. Maybe you're in this particular situation. You have been praying, but you're thinking, I need to abandon this for now because there's no way this is unfavorable for God to work. But if there's anything we see in the arrival of Jesus, that our God is unstoppable and he keeps his promises and no situation is unfavorable for that. And our faith ought to keep us pressing into him. And realizing, you know, maybe, maybe it's, the answer is coming in a way we didn't expect, but in a better timing than we ever thought possible. So who is running your life? Who are you seeking for peace? And what promises are you holding on to? This is our God. This is our God. This is the arrival of Jesus and what it means for us. God, thank you so much that you are writing an amazing story and that we get to enter into that by faith and trusting in Jesus. And that you've got so much more for us than we, than we often think of. And we currently have way more than we realize. Thank you that there was nothing that stopped you from coming and now there's nothing that separates us from your love. That we have access and that you are available to us. So I pray for everybody in this room right now that we would know this, that we would treasure this and that we would act on this. This Christmas season, this day. For there is good news of great Joy, so God, all glory be to you in the highest. And on earth may there be peace. Here in this room, here in our city, and in our world. Amen.